Well, welcome to Vertical Life Church. You guys doing all right today? I don't know if God missed, you know, the date. April 1st is April Fool's Day. You know, we didn't get snow then, but we got it on the 2nd. thought it was kind of a mean trick. But I was hoping that the, the snow would be gone for the season. But uh, nevertheless, this is Michigan. We're like the South North Pole, and we can have snow all year round, I guess. So, uh, but welcome to Vertical Life Church. Uh, if you're new with us today, we want to say welcome. Uh, we have a philosophy here at our church. We believe everyone matters to God. And so you matter. And we thank you for choosing to spend some time with us this morning. I'm Joey. I'm the lead pastor here at Vertical Life Church. Uh, today, we are in week two of a new series that we began on Easter called Upon This Rock. Typically, we try to preach through different subjects as it relates to current cultural issues or, or life issues, and we look at what God's Word has to say about these different subjects, and so we break them up into you know, different topics over the a few or several weeks, and, and we call those a sermon series or teaching series, and so this is the, the series we are in for a couple of weeks as we have kicked it off on Easter called Upon This Rock. And uh, to, uh, to get started here, I'm going to read the verse of Scripture that we're going to be in today. We're going to really just look at one passage of Scripture, a couple others that we'll look at today. But really, our key verse today is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And we're going to kind of break down this verse. This was a monumental verse in the Scripture. This is the first time that Jesus mentions the church. Right, Jesus gets ready to, as he's talking to his disciples, he, he basically begins to unpack the mystery, the plan that God had been working out over thousands of years from the Old Testament all the way through the Old Testament, now into the New Testament. Jesus makes this statement kind of revealing God's work in the world and how he's getting ready to unleash this new entity that's going to change everything that we know through the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, here's what he says. He says, Now I say to you, that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the powers of hell will not conquer it. So this is the first time Jesus talks about the church. Now, the Bible in the New Testament was originally written in the Greek language, and that's important because the Greeks had many words for many things, much of which we don't have today. For instance, the word for love, we understand what love is. Well, the Greeks had multiple words for love, and we kind of use the one word to describe all the different aspects of love. The Greeks would use different words to describe different aspects of love. So it's important that you kind of have an understanding of what some of these words mean. Now, when Jesus mentions the church, that is the original word ekklesia in the Greek language, and that literally means an assembly. Right? Jesus is saying that upon this rock, I'm going to build my assembly, or I'm going to build my people. He's not talking about buildings or denominations or nonprofit organizations. He's talking about a people who would change the world. This was incredible. And so this, this is a foundational and a, a monumental statement from our Lord. But to kind of set up... Uh, where this verse kind of was born out of and what Jesus is getting at here. And to take a look at how we can apply this to our lives, we're going to take a look at the character in this verse, which is Peter. Now, Peter did not have that name from birth. That was a name given to him in this moment by Jesus Christ. If you study the Old Testament, you'll see from time to time, God kind of has the habit of changing people's names. Jacob 
got his name changed to Israel, and he's now the father of the nation of Israel. Abraham used to be called Abram. God changed his name after he worked in his life. And so God will change names from people from time to time to signify something incredible happening in their life. And so not only is Jesus talking about this new entity that's going to change the face of the earth or the world, but now he's kind of changing Peter's name to basically say, you're going to be an instrumental part in this new movement. Peter gets a new name. And so uh, this is a monumental part. Now, leading up to this statement, Jesus is walking with his disciples. And uh, as they're kind of just walking to the next place they're going to do ministry, Jesus asks them a question. He says, who do people say that I am? Now, it's important to understand that when God asks a question, it's not because he's ignorant of the answer. God knows it all. Right? The Bible says that, that God knows even the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. There's nothing hidden from God. And so when God asks a question, what's actually about to happen is he's getting ready to lead you into some truth that's going to blow your mind. He's going to open your eyes to some things that you didn't know but that you need to know. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you remember in Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they hid themselves. And it says God was walking in the, in the cool of the day through the garden, and he asks, Adam, where are you? Right? God didn't, God didn't like have no idea or no clue where Adam was. He knew exactly where Adam was. He knew Adam was hiding. Right? God's presence is everywhere. His knowledge is infinite. God knows it all. So when he asks a question, he's not ignorant of the answer. He knows exactly what is going on. But he's asking the question to get us on the same page, to kind of lead us into some truth. And so here he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And his disciples began to unpack the, the gossip and kind of read the headlines of the National Enquirer of that day about what people were saying about Jesus. Some say you're the prophet Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah, come back from the dead. Some say you're John the Baptist. And they all go through their litany of answers. And then Simon makes a statement. Jesus turns to his disciples after they describe who they uh, they are telling him that people are saying that he is, and he turns the question on them from who do people say that I am to now who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am, guys? And Peter responds to the Lord, and as soon as Peter responds and makes this statement, Jesus turns to him and say, now I say to you that you are Peter. Because of what Peter said, Jesus changes his name. And connects his name now to what's about to happen in the future with the, this movement he's getting ready to unleash in the, in the world. Now, names were very important in the biblical times. And, and if you look through the Old Testament, a name wasn't just something that you gave somebody at birth so you would know what to call them by. Oftentimes, names were a prophetic word over that child. They kind of revealed the destiny of that child. If you think back to the story of Joseph in the coat of many colors, right? Joseph is sold into slavery, and, and, uh, and, and over the course of the events that happen in his life, he ends up rising to power as the number two person in all of Egypt. And the way that happens is that God gives him some dreams, and because he's able to interpret these dreams and also interpret the dreams of other people, God uses that gifting to rise him up or raise him up to help save Egypt from a famine. And the name Joseph actually means dreamer. 
right? It means dreamer. It means, you know, one who dreams. And so when he was given that name, it was given to him as a prophetic word over his life. And, and Jesus, we know Jesus, his name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. It signifies something about who you are. Now, I just, you know, this is just the way my mind works. If names are a prophetic word over you, and if that principle still carries true to today, I'm kind of worried about some of the kids these days. You know, their parents either haphazardly pick a name or they decide to splice some mambo-jambo thing together and, and create something because they want to be creative or, or cool. And, and I'm just kind of worried about maybe what some of the prophetic words our parents are having over their children these days. But, uh, but this was a big deal. And so not only is God changing a name a big deal, but also the name itself is a big deal for the person who receives it. And here in this moment, as the disciples are gathered together, Peter or Jesus looks at Simon and says, you're no longer Simon, you are Peter. And right here the scripture says that means rock. Now if you know anything about Peter, Peter was kind of a self-assured kind of guy. He was very passionate, he was very driven, but a little egotistical too, right? He, he kind of just launched into action before he thought about the ramifications of what his decisions would bring upon himself. Uh, the disciples were in a storm, and they were all hanging on for their dear life, and they were thinking they were going to die, and here comes Jesus walking on the water, and Peter's the first one out of the boat, right? He, he's just, that's his personality. He's like, I'm just going to do this. I mean, he's a super confident kind of guy. And so here, when Jesus says, you're no longer Simon, you are the rock, I can just kind of see something rise up in Peter. Ladies, if you know what I'm talking about, you know when you're trying to get your husband to do something and he's putting it off and putting it off, what happens the moment you start patting his ego a little bit and you give him kind of that strong nickname, oh, come on, Superman, you can do this, right? Head starts to explode, right? The guy kind of starts, yeah, I can do that, right? I'm going to prove that I, I, I am the rock, I am the Superman, you know? And, and so you could see this happen in Peter because as soon as Jesus says, you are the rock, and, and they go through this conversation, that Jesus begins to talk about events that are getting ready to come. He starts talking about how he's going to suffer at the hands of the, the Pharisees and, and the, uh, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and how he's going to give his life on the cross and, and how he's going to come back from the dead. And as soon as he gives this prophecy about what's getting ready to transpire in his life, Peter, the rock, pulls Jesus aside and begins to rip Jesus a new one, basically, about how he's not going to let that happen. So if you think about it, here is God. I just gave you this new name. I call you the rock. And now the rock's going to, so full of himself, I'm going to tell God what's going to happen. Right? Right? This is just an incredible thing that you could see here in the life of Peter. What happened when this name was changed? You know, and... Um, and so, you know, Peter's just beginning to kind of get full of himself. I could see that as soon as Christ gave him this new name, he probably looked at the other disciples and was like, do you hear that? Yeah, that's me. I'm the rock. Not you, me. I, I am the rock. Right? And uh, a few chapters later, as the story goes on, we see Jesus again, as he's teaching his disciples, again starts talking about the death and his resurrection. And, and he kind of clarifies some things that are going to happen. And Jesus tells the disciples, look, when this goes down, you all are going to desert me. You're going to leave me. But that's okay because the scripture says the sheep that were gathered by the shepherd are going to scatter and abandon him. And so this is just a fulfillment of prophecy. And Peter, hearing that, he rises up. The rock inside of him rises up and he says, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. 
I will never abandon you. Matter of fact, I will give my life for you because I'm the rock. I'm strong. I'm tough. I will be there to stand up against the things that are coming your way, Jesus. This is just, you can see this coming up in him. But we know the story about Peter. We know what happens. Because in that moment where Peter says, I will never betray you. I will never leave you alone. Jesus looks at him and says, boy, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. That night, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. The soldiers come to take Jesus away. And Peter's like, I'm going to stop this from happening. I'm not going to let this. I'm the rock. I'm going to get in the way. I'm going to protect the Lord. He pulls out his sword and he begins to fight against the temple guards, even cuts the ear off of one of them. But to his fail, Jesus is still taken away. He wasn't able to protect the Lord. Matter of fact, after he realizes that it was no use, he looks around and all the other disciples are gone too. And he flees. And Jesus is taken into custody and headed towards his trial. Peter, in this moment, is faced with something that each and every one of us face one time or another, and that is failure. And that failure rocked him because he was faced with his own inadequacy, his own unworthiness. I couldn't protect God. I said I would do that. This is what I said I would do. I'm supposed to be the rock. I'm supposed to be the one who can make this happen. Jesus said that this was going to be who I am. I'm the stone. I'm the rock. But yet, here I fail. And what happens when we fail, when we're faced with failure? What happens to our confidence when we enter into a time of failure? What's rocked, it's shaken. Becomes all that we can see, all that we can focus on in that moment. And then fear begins to rise up in our hearts and we start kind of believing that if we're going to fail here, then we're going to fail in other places. And so what use is it for me to try to continue on to do what I know I'm supposed to do? And after... Peter leaves the garden. He kind of follows the guards at a distance. Jesus goes into the courtroom to be tried, and Peter's hanging out in the courtyard, and all of a sudden, three different occasions, people recognize who he is and say, you were, you were with Jesus. You were with the one who said he was the Christ. You are the, from Galilee. You're one of the disciples. And all three occasions, Peter denied Jesus in fulfillment of what the Lord had said. And you can see this happen because I recognize this in my own life that the moment I fail, the moment I encounter some time of weakness, that begins to dominate everything in my life. And it begins to alter my perception and it begins to alter my confidence, which enables me to make decisions that I wouldn't normally make. You ever uh, enter a time where maybe you make a mistake or you do something you know you shouldn't do and you have that thought, man, well, I already messed up here. What's the point in continuing on and doing right over here? This drives us. This fills our hearts as fear dominates our minds. And Peter, after he denied the Lord, says he went away bitterly. He wept. He was sorrowful. He cried, feeling like he was no longer worthy of what God had called him to. I remember a time when I was younger. I was in the seventh grade and uh, going into my seventh grade year. And uh, all my friends were getting ready to try out for the football team. And so uh, I thought, you know, naturally, well, I guess I'll try out for the football team too. We, uh, we all 
um, kind of played football in the playground, and uh, not in the playground, but in our neighborhood, and I thought I was pretty good because it usually would take three or four people to tackle me. I was kind of a pudgy fellow, and so it took a little, uh, little extra to get me down whenever we play tackle football in our, our friend's yard. And so I thought, man, I, I mean, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to play football on the team. And, and, and as I began to kind of dream about what it would be like to play football, I kind of thought about, you know, if I perform on the team like I did in the neighborhood, man, I might be the MVP. You know, I, I, might, I might be the star, right? I'd be catching the touchdown passes, be running the, the, all the way down the field. I mean, th- this is going to go great for me. This is going to go awesome. And so, you know, my parents paid for me to, to register. I got on the team. And luckily, back then, no one got cut. I don't know if that's still the way it is today. But anyone who tried out for the team got on the team. And so I was on the football team and uh, started, uh, you know, going to practices and learned rather quickly that you need oxygen to be able to, you know, play that sport, and so uh, it, was, it was hard, but I was excited. I was having fun, and then all of a sudden, my coach had this idea to run this drill. I don't, if you played football, I don't know if it's called the same uh, on your team, but this drill that they, uh, he decided to run with us was called Bull in the Ring, and uh, if you don't know what that is, if you can imagine the whole team circling around, kind of like Duck, Duck, Goose, but more like the Gauntlet of Death, and, uh, and they put one teammate in the center, and uh, what bull in the ring happens is that then once you're in the center, you have to take position, and then you practice fielding hits from everyone on the team. So they just run at you full force, and they hit you, and that's kind of to help you get over the fear of being hit and hurt and uh, help you, you know, maintain your center uh, mass and uh, focus on your gravity and all that stuff. And, and so uh, I thought, okay, you know, I could do this. But then my coach had another idea. He's like, well, let's get the eighth graders involved in this. And so it was all the 7th and 8th grade team. Now, again, I was never a very big guy as far as stature and and strength. But our 8th graders, I swear, their parents fed them testosterone since since birth. I mean, these guys were huge. And so now I'm getting a little nervous. And uh, and so, you know, I was watching uh, my teammates go through this. Uh, All the people in 7th grade and 8th grade were all doing this together. And it became my turn. And so I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm tough, I'm strong, I, I could probably take some hits, and I get it in the center, and I think my feet spent more time in the air than, than uh, my head did. I mean, I was just knocked for a loop, and uh, I was hurt. I was out of breath, I got the wind knocked out of me, and when I left that practice, man, my confidence was gone. The dreams of being the MVP, catching the, the touchdown pass, all of that was now just a kind of a, a, a thought, a passing thought, not really a dream or something that was driving my excitement to play on the team. And the next morning I woke up, my neck was hurting, and, and I was just sore, and just my whole perception of this uh, sport was not what it was going into it. And so uh, I went to my coach and was like, you know, I, I can barely turn my neck. I feel like I have whiplash. I'm going to sit the next couple of uh, practices out to kind of heal up. And I don't know why, but he let me. And, uh, but unfortunately, one the practices I missed, I also missed out on running the plays. I missed out on learning my position. I missed out on learning the rules. And so when it came to our first game, uh, you know, we're all dressed out on the sidelines. He called me in, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to go out on the field and, and uh, see what happens. And so I got out there, and I didn't know that uh, when the quarterback says down, you're supposed to actually be in position and not move. And so he called down, and I was getting ready. He said, set. I moved, and I got a penalty call to me. It happened like two or three times. And finally, after the coach ripped me a new one from the sideline, I you know, finished the play, and I moved out. And I'm just like, you know what? Maybe football's not for me. 
and, um, and, uh, but my confidence was gone. Everything that was driving me to be on this team and everything I thought was going to happen, the moment my confidence was gone in practice and that embarrassing moment, it removed any hope that I had to endure, to move on. I thought I couldn't do it. And I could see this in the life of Peter. The moment he failed, his confidence was gone. And to add fire or fuel to the fire, when he denied the Lord, he just kind of gave up. He washed his hands of it. And it's the same thing that happened to me. When I came off the field, I knew that night that my future in football was no more. And the next day, I quit the team. And I could see Peter in this moment after failing. You know what? Maybe being a disciple of Christ isn't for me. Maybe I'm not the rock. Maybe I'm not going to live up to what Jesus was calling me to do. Now, the reason why this verse, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, is so important, and why understanding the original language is so important, is because when many read this verse, it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. When Jesus says, upon this rock, many believe that rock is Peter. This is one of the reasons why the Catholic Church believes that Peter was the first pope because they believe this verse is where Jesus kind of creates this office of leadership and where he's appointing Peter to this position. And you can kind of see how Peter was thinking the same thing. That as you see through this trend, you see what happens in his life that after he fails the Lord, he just he walks away so sorrowfully as if he was giving up. You can see that he kind of felt the responsibility to kind of be the bedrock or the foundation of this new movement. But in, this, in the original language where it says, now you are Peter, when Jesus called Peter, Peter, the, that word in the Greek is the word petros. Petros, and that means a piece of rock. That means a stone or like a brick, something that you would place in a wall. But when Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, that word for rock is the word petra, which means a mass of rock. Something that you can build a foundation on. And so, in other words, what Jesus is saying is like, look, Peter, you are tough. You're a stone. You're a piece of rock. But you are not the rock that I'm going to build this movement on. I'm going to build it on a rock that you can build upon, a sure foundation, the cornerstone, the rock that will not be moved, that cannot be shaken. See, when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. That was his statement. That was what he said when Jesus changed his name. And so the foundation stone that Jesus is actually going to build the church on is not the piece of rock. It's on the statement that the piece of rocks declared, which was what Jesus was the Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the foundation stone that the unstoppable church is going to be built upon. Peter was going to be an important part of that ministry, but he's not the most important part. He was the vessel or, or a vessel that God was going to use to unleash the church into the world. But Peter was taking the responsibility of all of that on his shoulders. He was taking the responsibility of protecting Jesus, of staying true, of making sure this thing happened. And the moment he failed, his confidence was rocked, and that vision of what he thought he was going to be was gone. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. It makes a big difference in our lives and in the lives of the, these men here. You see, when the women went to the tomb to anoint the body and 
they saw that the body was gone, the stone had been rolled away, an angel appeared before them and invited them into the tomb to see that Jesus' body was no longer there dead in the grave, but that he had risen from the dead. Uh, the angels also told the, the, the ladies to go back to the disciples and tell them this message. In Mark chapter 16, verse 7, the angel says, Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. And so we have this event. Jesus is betrayed. He's tried. He's crucified. And now three days later, he's risen from the dead. And the angel sends the ladies back to tell the disciples this message. Now, something that you may not catch if you're not paying close attention in this verse is it says, now go and tell the disciples, and including who? Peter. Right? At first glance, you'll be like, okay, you know, he's, he's part of the group. The thing that's important to remember here is that Peter had just what? He had just failed Jesus in the garden. He had just betrayed the Lord. He felt completely unworthy, like his future as a disciple was over. But here the angel says, go tell his disciples, including the guy that betrayed me? No. Go tell Simon? No. Go tell the one that couldn't protect me in the garden? No. He said, go tell Peter, which means God did not change the calling or the declaration or prophetic word that he had given to Peter prior to his failure. And this is something that we need to wrestle with because so many times we fail, we show some weakness, we make a mistake, and we feel like our hope or the future, the things that we want to do, that we're no longer worthy to hold on to. And here the angel is saying, look, go tell Peter that God is not done with him yet. The resurrection means that God isn't finished. He's just getting started, and he's just getting started with Peter. And see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the reason why it motivates us and fills us with hope, because no matter what we encounter in this life, no matter what mistakes we've made, God is just getting started with you. Romans eleven twenty nine. this verse rocked me this week. I, I, I don't really show it or try not to show it, but I'm someone that suffers with uh, self-consciousness and confidence. Uh, I told uh, this story before, but, you know, I... Uh, First went into ministry, I was a worship leader and music director, and uh, the first pastor I went to work for, as he was interviewing me, I told him, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll lead worship for you, but there's no way I'm going to preach. There's no way I'm going to speak in public. I mean, the, public speaking was like my biggest fear ever. Uh, just kind of sweat starting to think about it, you know. And, uh, and so over the course of uh, several years, God has kind of worked through me, but... Uh, Public speaking has always been something that I had struggled with. But I know that God has called me to this, this ministry. And there have been times that I've been up here preaching and I've thought, man, this is great. And on those days that, that seems like there's a lot of uh, movement, that God's really working in hearts and lives, you feel like you're on cloud nine. But the, the messages you preach and you walk away and it seems like everyone's leaving more depressed than filled with joy. And you feel like that you just did horribly. I mean, you just want to go home and, and cry, you know. And, uh, and so these are things that, that I've struggled with my whole life. And, you know, there are times where, you know, my wife and I, you know, contrary to public belief, pastors are imperfect, you know. So I'm just normal like you. And sometimes on Saturday night, my wife and I will get into an argument. And depending on how severe it is, on Sunday morning, I might not feel so worthy to stand up and to preach, you know, and this is the way it is, that we're all imperfect, and we all have, uh, make mistakes in our, 
battle weakness. But in those moments when I, I feel like, man, God, you should have just picked somebody else. God, you know, why me? You know, there's so many more qualified people than me. I start letting fear and, the, and failure and weakness begin to cloud my mind and my heart. In this verse, Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, this verse rocked me this week because of what Paul tells to the church of Romans. In Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, it says, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. And I read this and I'm thinking, you mean when I don't do as well as I think I should or when I make a mistake or if my marriage falls apart or if my kids aren't as good as someone else's kids or if I don't look as nice as someone else does or I can't sing as well as someone else can sing or I'm not as eloquent in speech as someone else is eloquent in speech or if I make this big mistake and I have a series or a season of just hardship, you're telling me that when you gift me and you call me, that no matter what happens, that's not going to be taken away? Talk about amazing grace. See, when the angel says, including Peter, what God is telling us through this story and what God is telling us here through Paul in Romans chapter 11 is that God's gifting and his calling have nothing to do with you, but everything to do with how good he is. See, that's where grace comes in. That's why we, we sing about amazing grace, because if you have to be worthy of it, then it's not grace. It's not grace. Your failures do not catch God by surprise. Your failures don't disqualify you, but your failures and your weakness are the mechanism that God leverages to carve you out and fit you into your place in this uh, unstoppable uh, movement called the Church of Jesus Christ. Just like uh, Peter was a piece of stone, he was a vessel that God was going to use to make the church the unstoppable force. God is going to use you as a vessel to make a big impact in this world. Failure is not a failure for the believer. It's just a closed door God uses to redirect you on the path towards your greatest potential. And it's only in failure, it's only in weakness that you can experience His grace. If you never fail, if you never have a moment of weakness, then you don't need His grace in your life. But we do fail. We do have weakness. And we need to be reminded that our failures and our weakness don't disqualify us from the gifting and goodness and calling that God has placed in our lives. No, they more than qualify us because it's God who calls us and does the work. The Apostle John in 1 John said that if I'm filled with fear, which is what happens when we fail, when we lose confidence, fear fills our hearts. John says, if I am filled with fear, then it's because I never experienced his perfect love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So when we feel like we're not good enough, when we feel like we're not worthy enough for what God has placed in our hearts and what he's called us to do, to chase after the dreams that, that he has given us, we are, we are filling our hearts or allowing our hearts to be filled with fear and not remembering his love and his grace towards us. It's a question I had thought about this week, especially looking back my seventh grade year, my attempt at football, is what if someone had said that I was guaranteed to win every game, no matter what, no matter how well I played my position, no matter what mistakes I made, that I was guaranteed to have the victory. You know, the same is true for us. 
See, if I knew that going in, maybe I would have stuck with the football team. Maybe I would have gotten up and gone back to practice and learned through my mistakes and worked through my weaknesses and, and grown as an individual. And I think this applies to us is that if we would know that no matter what mistakes we make, no matter what weaknesses we have, God is going to give us the victory, I think that would change how we live our lives. It would change the security that we have and the hope that we have to wake up each and every day and give it our best shot. In Matthew 16, 18, the third part of that passage of Scripture, Jesus says, the powers of hell will not prevail. The powers of hell will not prevail, which means victory is ours. Victory is ours. Overwhelming victory is ours. Each and every one of us, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of this unstoppable movement called the church. God has placed you in his body, in the church, just where he wants you. He's gifted you to be able to use your talents and abilities the way he has designed. He's called you for a greater purpose. You are a part of this thing that he is going to build on himself, that he is taking responsibility to make successful. And if we plant our feet and plant our faith on the rock if we trust in his power and his goodness and not our talents, abilities, and skills. If we trust that he is working through us even in our failures, the scripture says we will be an unstoppable force. We will uh, defeat the powers of hell. Now this statement is a military term. If you think about medieval warfare, a mil uh, an army they don't just sit and wait for the building to kind of move in a landslide and, and to kind of, you know, creep toward the, the enemy camp. No, the army gathers its troops and marches on down to the, uh, the, the castle or the keep in order to take the fight to the enemy. And what they do is they try to somehow break down the gates in order to go into the, the keep and plunder the city. And here, when Jesus says the powers of hell will not prevail against it, another translation says the actual gates of hell, which means for you and I, we are not just here waiting for battle, waiting for war. We are to be moving forward in our faith, taking the fight to the enemy, picking ourselves up, and going forward to plunder the city or the powers of hell. And when we allow fear to fill our lives, fear is what kills our faith. Fear is what the enemy uses to keep us from moving forward, to keep us from being confident in who God made us to be. And my challenge to us today, church, is that when you fail, and when fear begins to creep up in your heart, to remember who it is that saved you, to remember who it is that called you, to remember who it is that gifted you, for a greater purpose. When God places a dream or a vision in your life or what he wants to do for you, it is going to be him that completes that. It's not reliant on your skills, talents, abilities, or success. God is going to work through you. As we close today, I just want to pray for us. I know that I'm not the only one that, that deals with confidence issues. I'm not the only one that deals with fear. And uh, I just want to encourage this church, especially as we're getting ready to launch the CityWalk Initiative, the City Walk is going to be an opportunity for us to take the fight to the enemy, to actually be the church as we leave the walls of this church and go out into our community to minister to people, sharing the love of Jesus Christ to other people that are far from him, that need to encounter the risen Lord. This is going to be an opportunity for us to break out of maybe 
places that we're comfortable. It's going to be a prime opportunity for the enemy to fill us with fear. And I'm going to pray for boldness and strength as we leave this place. And if you're struggling today with some decisions that you've made, if you're battling some insecurities or, or some fear because of maybe past relationships or, or things that you've encountered in your life. You know, I know there's some in our church that have experienced divorce and other life-altering issues, and because of those things, you felt like maybe you're not qualified anymore to, to follow God or to be used by God. I just want to encourage you to remember your gifts and your calling cannot be withdrawn. God is not done with you. He's just getting started with you. And I'm thankful and excited to see, as we walk in faith, what God is going to do in the life of our church. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this moment. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the resurrection. God, I thank you that your love and grace towards us is such that no matter what we do in this life, God, that you are not reliant on us and our abilities and our skills. God, it's not that we have to be good enough or that we have to rise to any level before you can do an amazing thing through our lives, God. And so we just give you praise for that grace and that mercy. God, we thank you for uh, loving us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross, that you've given us forgiveness, that you've given us new life in him. God, we just thank you for forgiveness. God, we thank you for second chances. God, we thank you that even after we fail, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that you're still just getting started in us. That we don't come to endings, but we come to new beginnings. God, that we can have purpose and meaning, and we can know true love. Lord, as we leave this place, God, I pray that your love would shine in our hearts. That we wouldn't let fear hold us back from following you in faith. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.